With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Hello, and welcome to Small Business Digest Radio. My name is Don Mazzella, and I am your host for a program devoted to identifying strategies and suggestions to help small business managers increase profits, add sales, better manage cash flow, improve employee management, and streamline operations. Our guests are other entrepreneurs and experts offering their solutions to the problems and opportunities facing small business leaders. Our aim in each program is to provide one or two thought-provoking ideas or suggestions. So follow us on Twitter at hashtag 2SBDigest or at our website at www.smallbusinessdigest.net. You know, uh, today is a very interesting day. We have three very um, different but uh, uh, in- informative uh, guests. And our first one is Josh Hatfield. He's going to talk about something that uh, a lot of people uh, ignore, how to uh, ways to avoid getting abandoned at the register. Josh, w- welcome to the program. Hey, Don. Thanks for having me today. Well, as we ask all of our guests, Josh, first tell us a little bit about yourself. I know you're calling from San Antonio, Texas, but tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, yeah, great. So I've actually been in the IT industry for uh, about 17 years or so, more so on the engineering side. I want to say I started off supporting college infrastructure and then uh, slowly transitioned into the web and uh, cloud hosting over at Rackspace. Supporting customers at Rackspace for nine years, I think, really helped me understand what pain points our customers have and gave me a ton of exposure to different CMSs, e-commerce platforms, uh, not just on the technical standpoint, but also from the marketing perspective, how these things are actually impacting customers from a a revenue uh, standpoint. You know, customers would often call in and ask questions on how they would increase their SEO rankings, decrease their page load times. Essentially, it all equated to money being lost and given to their competitors. Well, today I actually work for Hostway as a, and, and consult customers with their cloud and digital workloads. I believe my experience has really helped put me in a position to help SMB organizations increase their rep time um, and also increase their market traction, essentially just making them more money. All right. So having said that, okay, how, do we, how, how does one go about it? Give us some specifics. Well, you know, um, there was a, a study done, I, I want to say it was Kissmetrics, that said that there's 40% of online shoppers 
abandon it. Um, they're they're cart if a website takes more than three seconds to load. Now, I think that these studies were have always been there, but the problem with today versus a few years ago is that there's more e-commerce sites online today, and there's a lot more of our shopping being done online, you know, just as technical evolution evolves. So what you need to do nowadays is, is essentially just make it simple for the customer. Um, you really got to give them confidence. And what I've done before was I, I came up with like 12 ideas to help reduce shopping cart abandonment for e-commerce sites. It doesn't matter what the e-commerce site is. The, the rules apply the same. I mean, you need a solid security um, indicator. You need to let them know that when they come to your site, it's safe. It's not malicious. So you need to have a security indicator. A lot of people, when they get to a website, if there's no security indicator saying, hey, we've been tested by McAfee or we're not PCI compliant or et cetera, they're immediately going to leave. So you got to give them that confidence to buy. Well, you're on a roll. Keep going. <laughs> so, so the other things are, uh, you know, giving them the option to sign up. Uh, First-time buyers may not want to create an account at your site. So if you don't give them that option, you can always register them later since you've already captured their email address. Um, not just, you know, signing up and enforcing them to have an account, but also give them the option to have different payment options. Um, give them PayPal, Google Wallet, or whatever else that you have. And then some of the other things that we found that actually help customers out is, is getting them free shipping. Sometimes if they're going to buy a, a product and it's heavy, they want to see what the price is going to be for shipping. Otherwise, they may order it through uh, Amazon. So if you offer a free shipping, they may buy it from you instead. And then making the shopping uh, cart experience easier, making it fast. You can give them an indicator saying, hey, you have two steps to go or you have three steps to go. Give them that progress meter and then also give them the option to manually update builds by putting your billing address in and making that your default for the shipping address. Of course, like all shoppers, you know, they, they want to have limited time offers. I mean, no one walks in and wants to pay um, a premium for things. So if you give them limited time offers, um, they're probably going to add that to their, you know, some abandoned carts result from consumers simply wanting to see what the total cost would be. Incentivizing the purchase now with promotional rates really helps increase that. Uh, I just want to ask a question, Jeff. Um, Just a a question for you. Uh, I've always been told the less uh, uh, options you give people, the more likely you are to get a sale. Yet you're saying just you're giving them more to more to say. Uh, uh, Am I wrong or? Um, you know, you're giving them this, no, that. Yeah, you're you're right to an extent, Don. Um, you know, the when customers come to your website, they're coming to buy a specific item. You're, they've searched for it through Google, Yahoo, whatever it may have been, Bing. They've identified your business. They've went to your website, and now they've identified a product. So if your product is marked up a little bit, they may not buy it. But then if you give them a limited time offer, if you buy now within the next 24 hours or you know, five minutes or whatever it may be, some promotional thing, the odds of them adding it to their cart are going to increase. And that's what I mean by limited time offers. 
Okay. Well, keep, keep going. Um, you're on a roll. So, so uh, as I say, you're telling us things we should know. Keep going. The uh, the other thing that's commonly overlooked, on is real-time support. Um, if a customer is having difficulties or simply has questions about the website that doesn't answer, live chat, um, web interfaces, all those things just reinforce the idea that you care about customers and the customer service. Um, having some form of, of real-time support, even if it's a telephone number, is better than not. Um, backlinks, you know, I've gone to websites and I went to purchase something, I'm sure you have, and then you press the back button and it doesn't let you go back, it just frustrates you. Then you end up just closing out the website in general, um, again, resulting in shopping cart abandonment. Give the customer the opportunity to backtrack and revisit the catalog without using the browser's back button. Um, if nothing else, it's just a visual reminder that you're not trying to track your customers. Hmm. And then, you know, most of us do shopping during the day. It's a, it's a fortunate fact and, and unfortunate, I guess, to some businesses that, you know, Monday through Friday, 8 to 5, a lot of people are online shopping. And we often get busy. So allow them the opportunity to save their shopping cart. If a customer is interrupted during the purchasing process or just wants to use the shopping cart as a wish list, um, let them return back to it. Let them just input their email address and come back to it or use cookies and caching um, so that the wish list and options could be there later on down the road. Um, this also allows you to run uh, email marketing campaigns to them, reminding them that, uh, hey, you have this in your shopping cart. Don't forget about this. Or this item just now became available or on sale. Um, that lets you use that as this additional marketing tactic. And then cross-sale were uh, appropriate. You know, if you're going to suggest other products that a customer may be interested in during the checkout process, make sure these suggestions make, both in terms of expense and, and the items, whatever the items are. You know, the algorithm of picking related products can really push a customer away or be the difference of you increasing the overall um, ARPU of your, uh, of your sale that you just sold them. So that's essentially it. You know, it's, it's typical common sense, but it's things that we overlook often. And uh, the overall thing is just to make sure that we're streamlining the customer's user experience and we're able to give them the tools that they need to buy the products as fast as possible. Hmm. Uh, Josh, your website? Hostway.com. Okay. And uh, what, uh, I'm a small business. What do you do for me? Do you create the website? Do you help? What's your role, your preferred role in all of this? Yeah, so I'm actually one of the senior managers over the digital and cloud workloads. And my, my job is to simply help customers identify what the best solution is for them and their organization whether it's to help them identify HA capabilities, um, the beneficials of, of HA, um, or if it's to help them just uh, create a marketplace for themselves. You know, that's my job and, and my team's job to do. Um, hmm. we, we don't essentially make websites for our customers. We have uh, SIs that, that do those things for them. But whether it's a Magento um, platform or any other CMS, we're able to help them. Now, from an SMB standpoint, and, and customers that are just getting started, Magento is a great CMS to start with. We actually have a new offering coming out. Magento as a service uh, starts at $99 a month, and it's fully managed all the way up through the application layer. So a lot of organizations are going to be loving that. 
Okay, Josh, we have a, another guest, David Edelson, coming on. I'd like you to stay on and comment, if you will, because he's going to talk about the, the common mistakes small businesses make. And I'd like you to stay on. Can can you do that? Absolutely. Okay. Well, first, let, let me unmute. Dave, are you on on board? Hi, Don. I'm here. Thank How you very you? much for having me on today. Well, uh, Josh Hatfield is on, and uh, and he's just given us a lot of food for thought, uh, and we're going to get back with him. But uh, you have um, have a fascinating ta- target, but before we get into it, tell us a little bit about yourself personally be- before anything else. I'd be happy to. First and foremost, thank you very much, Don, and your audience uh, for your time today. I very much appreciate it. Uh, my name is Dave Edelson. I am a human resources director at a company called Trinet. And Trinet is a strategic partner to small and medium-sized businesses for HR, payroll, employee benefits, employment law compliance, and risk mitigation. Um, I've worked for Trinet for roughly 14 years and have been in human resources for the past 20 years. Uh, pretty much my entire career. I am originally from Philadelphia and uh, have been in the Boston area for the past 25 years. Boy, that that is about as complete as you're going to get of an introduction. I wish all of my <laughs> wish all of my guests were as complete as that. Well, oh, now your um, your topic is uh, uh, the, the, the mistakes that small businesses make. Specifically, the top five um, HR human resources mistakes that small businesses or or startups make. Well, well, now to to use my off-used phrase, the floor is yours. Please tell us what they are, because I'm sure I've done them. So, you know, it's kind of an introduction. In my more than 20 years working in human resources. There's one thing I've learned above really everything else, and that's that human resources is incredibly complex. Ideally, what I'd like to do is, again, share with the audience and yourself five of the most common human resources, I'll be polite and say opportunities for improvement that I've seen that small organizations and startups make, the first of which is insufficient or lack of job descriptions. Now, a job description ideally has and contains the essential duties and responsibilities for a position in the organization. And ideally, every position would have a job description. Job descriptions are so important because they're something that you're going to use or an organization is going to use right from the beginning. When you're interviewing candidates, the job description is going to outline what the essential duties, responsibilities, and expectations are. If you hire that individual, again, the employee will be held accountable to those outlined essential duties and responsibilities. If the employee is performing well, you're doing the review. Again, you're tying it back to the job description. If they're not doing well, you, again, had outlined and set the expectations from the beginning. So let me give you an example. You know, one of the things I hear from organizations is it's a lot of work. 
you know, job descriptions, you want me to do one in writing for every single position? What's the point? I mean, what, what's the harm in really not having them? So a few years ago, I had a client of mine that called me, and uh, they had an employee working on the East Coast. And long story short, this individual, uh, the client called me and said, look, we're having some performance problems with some employees. Um, they've been with us for about a year, and it's not working out, and, and we want to, you know, we, we need some help. I said, okay, tell me about the situation. Uh, they say the employee is supposed to be traveling to a client of ours on the West Coast. They're not doing it, and um, we, we want to get rid of them. I said, well, do they know that they were supposed to be traveling to the West? Yes. Well, how do they know, I asked. And the client said, well, we told them when we initially hired them. And I said, okay, do you have anything in writing that talks about this? No. What, what happened was it made it far more difficult um, to say, well, we had a conversation with you 10 months ago and we told you you'd be traveling to the West Coast. That was the expectation. What did the employee say when they approached the employee about this? No, I don't recall that. I, I was never told I'd be traveling or that was the expectation. So ideally, again, one of the most important points here is to have a job description in writing for each position. And ideally, the job description will contain essential duties and responsibilities, uh, information that says the company <coughs> not, does not discriminate on the basis of sex, age, et cetera, and that we're an equal opportunity employer. So that's number one. Don, what are your thoughts? Any questions about that? Oh, you're doing fine. Josh, how do you <laughs> feel about all this? No, I, I concur entirely um, with them. You know, <coughs> I think that what what David is, is mentioning, in, in my experience, hasn't been the, the key thing that organizations do. Um, there's the assumption, right, that you have to embrace change. And embrace change means you have to do what's best for the company, not essentially what's best for you. And you're expected to step up and do things outside your scope of uh, scope of, of employment, or scope of work that you're hired to do. Being very exactly. specific and detailed, um, David, I'm sure you know you, you've probably seen it. If you are very specific and detailed, it's going to help you mitigate risk down the road, um, whether it be litigation or, or whatnot. And hopefully, avoid all those things and just hire someone that really is what you need. I mean, that's the goal. The goal is not to fire people. The goal is to keep people employed and to make them happy. Exactly. Exactly. So should I go on to the uh, the next uh, item? Keep on going. Okay. So the next item is myth classification of employees. What I've seen is many entrepreneurs face, and, we, and this was just mentioned, uh, potential litigation for violating wage and hour laws set by what's called the Fair Labor Standards Act, the FLSA. And some of the more common classification mistakes I've seen are classifying employees as exempt. Now, I don't mean to put you gentlemen on the spot, but I will in a second and ask you a question about that. Typically, what I find is for small organizations, startups, when I ask them, what exactly is an exempt employee? they'll say, well, an exempt employee is, is a salaried employee, and non-exempt is the other classification. Well, non-exempt are your hourly employees. What do you guys think? Is that correct? No. 
Why? Well, well, I have a. Uh, 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 this happens to be my program, and other people have brought it up. <laughs> uh, 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 you know, uh, and people have said to me uh, on many occasions. Uh, so, so keep on going. Tell us more. Okay. So exempt employees, and that's close. Commonly, exempt employees are salaried, but not all the time. The distinction and the correct information is an exempt employee is exempt from overtime pay. In other words, an exempt employee is not eligible, um, does not earn overtime. A non-exempt employee is eligible for overtime. To make this even, and I'll talk about what overtime provisions are, to make it even more wonderful and, and confusing, overtime provisions can vary. There are federal provisions that say that overtime is typically paid at time and a half. An employee makes $10 an hour. Um, for hours over 40 in a work week, an employee gets overtime at time and a half. Again, in the example, an employee is making $10 an hour. Overtime for hours over 40 is paid at $15 an hour. Now, different states may have different overtime provisions, which, again, an organization would need to be aware of. So there's inaccurate potential, inaccurate payment of wages that goes along with that. Also, misclassifying employees as independent contractors. Uh, we've seen and I've seen several suits by individuals, class actions, um, with regard to an individual that's, that's classified as an independent contractor versus an employee. And the IRS has its own kind of 20-point factor analysis uh, in determining what constitutes an independent contractor versus what constitutes an employee. An independent contractor typically is not eligible for uh, workers' compensation coverage, unemployment benefits, uh, health benefits, um, other benefits that an employee would be entitled to. So that's also something that an organization should be wary of, making sure they are classifying employees correctly. And if there are no questions, I can continue to the next item, which is kind of hand-in-hand hand with what we were talking about, not being aware of all federal and state laws. So there's all types of labor and employment laws at the federal, state, and local levels. Just to mention a few real quick, uh, we already talked about the Fair Labor Standards Act, or FLSA. This, again, establishes everything from minimum wage, overtime pay, record-keeping, and youth employment standards. There's the Family Medical Leave Act, or FMLA, which is federal, provides job protection for unpaid family-related medical leave. The Americans with Disabilities Act, final pay rules, which determine when and what to pay employees, a termination, for example. And again, that can vary. That could... Um, depend upon whether the employee is voluntarily resigning or being involuntarily terminated by the company. That can also vary by state. Different states have different regulations. Massachusetts, for example, involuntary termination. In involuntary termination in Massachusetts, employee has to be paid their final wages, including accrued unused uh, vacation time on the employee's last day. In other states, it may... Um, vary based on the company policy. State may not have any regulations, which again defaults to company policy. So the point here is an organization really needs 
a partner uh, to help them provide HR risk management services to kind of maneuver through and navigate through all of these various federal and state requirements. It's hard. And these rules and regulations change constantly. And you really need someone that knows what they're doing and is on top of it, a company like Trina, for example. I want to keep Josh involved in this. Uh, I know we're doing a a lot of heavy uh, uh, HR work, but do you have any thoughts, Josh, uh, on what's being said? You know, Don, with with David working at Trinet and, you know, them having the experience of, you know, managing over 85 national customers, I think they have over like 2,300 employees underneath their belt. I'm over here just taking notes myself. So um, <laughs> if it has to do with technology, I could definitely jump in. Um, but uh, at this point, you know, it's more informative. Right. Okay. Okay. I just, uh, I think you're worthwhile staying on if you don't mind, because, uh, um, uh, I always find programs where the people in, uh, interact. But uh, so, please well, bear with me. Ask a, let me ask a question to to David. You know, David, you see the the organization shift from an ETO to a PTO type basis. Um, so that as an ETO, you know, they I believe the employees, if they leave the organization, they, that has to be paid out. But a PTO basis, they don't have to be paid out. Can you speak to that from an HR standpoint and the benefits Certainly. of such? And again, tell me, tell me again if they switch from I, I just didn't hear you. So they would go from organizations that were typically doing an ETO, an earned time off, where when an employee leaves the organization, um, whether it be termed or at will, and they have let's say 80 hours of ETO accrued, they would be paid out on those 80 hours because they've earned it. Versus a PTO, they if they leave the organization, they're not entitled entitled to that paid time off, and that would not be on their last paycheck. You know, it's a great question. It really is going to depend upon the organization's policy. Uh, ideally, there should be a policy in writing that outlines and is communicated to all employees about how vacation time or paid time off is accrued. Uh, whether it's separate vacation and sick time, whether it's lumped into one as paid time off, um, and, and what, the, what the state requirements are as well. So let me give you an example when I, when I mention this. Um, first of all, there's no requirement to even provide uh, paid time off. So a company doesn't have to provide vacation time, for example. If it does and if it has a written policy, it's going to need to adhere to that policy. So if our policy is that an employee earns, say, three weeks of vacation time that is earned over the year, and the employee joins in January and has been there six months, has earned, say, 20 hours of vacation time, and then leaves, resigns, and the employee works in a state in which earned, which is um, earned vacation time is paid out at termination, Again, certain states have those requirements, California, Massachusetts, for example. That time is considered earned wages and needs to be paid at termination. Other states do not require that. If, even if you have a policy, um, you could have a, a stipulation there that says, unless required by law, we do not pay out 
earned vacation at termination. And again, as long as the state doesn't require it, the company does not have to pay that out. But it's critical. The one takeaway there is to avoid ambiguity and to make it as crystal clear as possible, ideally the organization should have it in writing. The more clear you are, the better. And you had talked about, Josh, you had talked about um, risk mitigation. That's ultimately the goal. The goal, you, you can't avoid um, all lawsuits and, 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 and employment taking action against you. But ideally, what you can do is attempt to mitigate your risk. And having formalized written policies and making it as clear and comprehensive as possible and communicating to your employees, having a meeting with all employees so that they have a policy in, in hand and you've reviewed it with them, allowed employees the opportunity to ask questions, that is going to go a long way in, again, reducing risk. Excuse me, reducing litigation and helping uh, avoid potential litigation. Does that, does that help you, Josh? Absolutely. Thank you. Good. Thank you. And, that, again, that's a great question. Um, you know, uh, okay, Dave, we've got about another uh, five minutes. Finish Great. up on so the three. So why don't we finish up with the, with the last two items. The last two items also go hand in hand. Number four is, again, in the top five most common HR mistakes made by small and startup organizations. Number four is failure to provide performance assessments. So there's a performance review and a performance management process. Performance review is typically a one-time event, usually completed annually. Performance management is an ongoing process. Ideally, organizations, what we recommend is to have a performance management process where the organization is spelling out what the organization goals are, communicating those to the organization, and then cascading and aligning those goals down to department level to employee level. So say our organization goal, for example, is to increase revenue year over year 20%. That goal is communicated to employees at the top level. And then what do we need from sales? What do we need from marketing, engineering, um, finance to accomplish that goal? And that goal goes all the way down to the employee level. Ideally, in the very least, an organization should be providing employees an annual formal performance review in writing, outlining what the employees' specific contributions were, what they did well, were there any opportunities, what are the goals for the upcoming year. The performance management process is something ideally that should be happening on an ongoing basis. Ideally, an employee should be provided with timely feedback on how the employee is performing, um, good and opportunities for improvement, on a timely basis, and ideally, those conversations should be happening um, on a regular basis. What I suggest is no more than every month having a formal, excuse me, having an informal touch base with an employee. It doesn't have to be an hour-long conversation every month. It could be a quick touch base. It could be five minutes. Maybe you spoke to the employee just yesterday. Everything is good. How are we doing on this project? Terrific. Do you need any additional support from me? Excellent. And you move on move on. But ideally, 
this is something that is going to impact the organization's bottom line. This isn't just a good thing to have. So case in point, I have a, a president of one of my clients who implemented a performance management process. What you use, what the organization uses, I'm not as concerned with, whether it's in, on paper, whether it's online or electronic form. The fact that you have this in whatever capacity is the more important thing. So in this example, this president uh, told me he implemented a performance management process, communicated goals to the organization, uh, cascaded those goals, had a formal review for the first time, and he found that in the two years he had this performance management process, he had the best two years financial performance-wise ever. So the takeaway is employees want to know how they're doing. Provide them with feedback on a regular basis. And the last item, number five, improper documentation. If I could get every small business owner to get into the habit of doing one thing, it would be to document conversations involving performance, employee performance. Many of the lawsuits that business owners um, see are due to improper documentation. So provide employees, if you're having performance concerns, document those concerns, specifics. What are the issues? What does the employee need to do to bring their performance in line with organization standards? What will happen if they don't do so? And even if you have a verbal discussion with an employee because you don't want it to get to a written uh, formal process, have the verbal discussion and follow it up with an email. What exactly, what was the date and time of the meeting, what was said by you, the manager, what was said by the employee, and what are the follow-up steps? Amen. Uh, I, I, I want to go back to Josh because uh, he's been a very patient with a very uh, interesting presentation. Josh, remind us about your company and what you do for our audience. Yeah, thanks, Don. So our company is Hostway.com. Um, Hostway is a global provider of cloud and hosting, um, basically providing servers and managed services to SMB organizations and enterprise organizations alike. Um, we help customers keep their servers online, make money, and or run their applications so they can continue to do their, their, their daily work on the inside. I know you were on um, uh, more than you thought. Uh, if you had to tell small business anything based on your experience, what would it be? In regards to just e-commerce in general, um, you know, leverage organizations like ours just to see if we can help you save money or make more money. Today's, today's uh, environment is just very competitive when it comes to e-commerce applications. And with everyone bringing their products mm -hmm. to market, you really need a professional organization like ours to help you increase your market traction, um, increase your page views, SEO optimization, etc. And if you're not leveraging organizations like us, all that means is it's more money being wasted going to your competitors and less market traction. Um, thank you, Josh. Dave, um, you, you've given us a great um, uh, outline. Uh, what, what would be the single thing you'd most want a small business cl client to do to be effective? 
I think the most important thing, if there's one takeaway from the presentation, is for organizations to partner with someone and get the help they need to ensure that, again, they have documentation, they're following standard processes for all the federal and state requirements, and if they need help, they should ask for it. But number one, make sure that you have documentation, documentation for things that are going well and opportunities for improvement with your team. And people want to reach you and your organization? Thank you, Don. Um, let me first give, uh, give the audience our website. So, again, it's Trinet, and our website is www.trinet.com. So, www.trinet.com. And if I can be of any further assistance, I'm happy to provide uh, my email address to the audience as well. And that is David, D-A-V-I-D, dot Edelson. And it's spelled E-D-E-L-S-O-N at Trinet, T-R-I-N-E-T, dot com. And again, Josh, Don, your audience, thank you so much for the time today. It was a pleasure. Well, thank you, David, and thank you, Josh. I see our next guest is ready, and I want to thank both of you for joining us and um, giving us some interesting thoughts for today. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Our next guest is Richard Milam. He's CEO and president of EnableSoft, and he wants to speak about automation. David, uh, my, uh, Richard, are you on? I'm on the call. How are you? I'm good. How are you today, Donald? Uh, pretty good. Pretty good. Uh, you're going to have a tough act to follow. Uh, David really has a presentation, but um, from what I've heard about you, you're well suited for it. Okay. So, uh, we always ask our, our guests, uh, first question is always a little bit about themselves personally before we discuss anything else. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, I'm a father of two uh, college-age daughters, and I have a, a stepson and a stepdaughter. Uh, through my marriage of three years ago, I uh, started the NableSoft 20 years ago to market technologies. I had developed uh, doing bank conversions, moving data when banks bought other banks. In the, in the mid-'90s, that had to be done very fast. Most of it was being done manually. But I'll come back to that. Prior to that, I... I was in uh, nuclear submarines in the Navy, uh, missile submarines for four years in the in the Pacific. Um, after college, I worked for the guy that invented the automated teller machine in Dallas, Texas, and put uh, systems and networks of automated teller machines in. Uh, that was the time when it took 30 years to get utilization of a te new technology above 30%. Uh, that happens much faster these days. Um, so yeah, I was uh, helping um, a banker do. Uh, I was helping a banker consultant friend of mine help banks move data during the SNL divestiture of the mid '90s, because uh, when the uh, banks bought up the SNLs that were being divested by the Resolution Trust Corporation, 
many of them were, were relegated to entering that data manually. You would walk into a bank boardroom, you'd see a dozen PCs and, and people, mostly ladies there, sitting uh, with green bar reports, keying in names and addresses and account information. Well, we had some technology that was kind of a cut-and-paste technology that was able to automate some of that, but not quite adequately. And then um, I built a product that's now called Foxtrot. We're in Today we're in over 500 banks um, on four continents, uh, major healthcare companies as well, and a dozen different industries. Our technology is called Foxtrot, and it enables non-technical people, knowledge workers and subject matter experts to integrate, migrate, and manage data without programming. They can do it without any IT support or, or vendor's uh, involvement. Okay. So now, uh, you have a fascinating target uh, topic, and I'm just going to uh, keep quiet and let you talk about it, because uh, you, uh, automation and transfer of data, et cetera, is something we're all concerned about. So please, uh, start wherever you want and uh, fire away. Yeah, well, it's today this is called robotic process automation as of a couple of years ago. The, the the Institute for Outsourcing is now called the Institute for Robotic Process Automation, and they're kind of the bellwethers of that that name, robotic process automation. What does that really mean? It's really the a continuation of the revolution that started when the personal computer came out, and people had access to spreadsheets. Knowledge workers, executives had access to spreadsheets, and they were ready to slice and dice their data, but um, um, they had trouble getting the data from the mainframe computers because uh, IT kind of had that locked up. Well, what eventually happened, as we know, is that <clears throat> the business people won that battle and they got access to their data. And today, a lot of data lives in spreadsheets, and uh, it's sliced and diced there. I, I have uh, personal experience with actually doing entire data conversions in spreadsheets. Um, the other piece of that puzzle is, okay, once that data is in the hands of the knowledge worker or the subject matter expert from either, you know, in a spreadsheet or where they pulled a report from somewhere, and they've sliced and diced it, and they now, now they have a, a business in, initiative. Where maybe it's ordering credit cards in a data breach or uh, integrating data to a new customer relationship management system that they're forced to deal with, but they want to get their old data over. There's really no way before robotic process automation like ours for them to do that themselves. They had to manually type it in, just like those ladies of the bank conversion, or they, um, you know, waited for IT to do something, which was forever, unfortunately, um, and not business, not at the speed of business. Uh, robotic process automation enables it's another it's another technology that's that's evolved. Uh, under our stewardship for 20 years that enables people to take that data that they have and marshal it into their business system or a system of record through a non-invasive, accountable, safe method where that system thinks it's a human being entering that data, entering data in fields, clicking checkboxes, radio buttons, uh, uh, and submit buttons so that... Um, it's not. It's really the 
uh, system thinking that it's a human being doing it, but the the knowledge worker is now has created a script with our technology to teach uh, our technology how to operate and our robot how to enter that data or perform that function. Uh, what's good about that, Donald, is that it's as I said, it's it's safe and it's accountable. So everything that goes in through those screens, they have to have the credentials to do it. So they can't do stuff that they're not allowed to do anyway manually. There's usually an audit trail in place because the systems track who does what. And so there's a there's a good audit trail usually of the system of record. And, um, you know, they uh, can enter a lot of data without having to do it manually, which causes errors. And um, that's that's the economies of scale and the efficiencies that our customers are getting. They're, they're recognizing uh, sub 90 day return on the, their investments. They're able to teach, the, give this technology to their knowledge workers within a couple hours of web training or even less. They're often running and doing that, this, that uh, the, the, the automations themselves. Well, uh, you know, that's interesting. But, um, the, the data, it, does it have to be uh, uh, numerical data or can it be other? Uh, and I'll, I'll tell you why I'm asking the question. We have to move, transfer over 5,000 stories um, that we have put up on our various websites into one database. And, uh, and no one seems to have come up with a way that we can, uh, can do it other than manually. Go to each story, uh, paint it, and then put it into another database. Is, is this the type of thing that someone could do? Or am I just being uh, Pollyannish? Oh no, we could do that today with our technology. It's you—you you just have Foxtrot do the clicks and the cut, the cut and paste that you would do manually, and uh, teach it how to do one, and then um, it runs on the the rest of the records, either driven by a file or a number of iterations, etc. So you know, it's not just numerical data; it's any data. Hmm. Well. well and if I understand what you're saying, and pardon me, I sit on, I have to sit on the National Robotics Education Foundation Board. You know, world, but and you say robotic, I've never quite heard it used in that term. But in effect, you're saying it's just a rote procedure that a robot can do better, better or equal to an individual. Am I hearing you correctly? Yes, you are. Okay. It's, it's you can tell me if I'm that. wrong. I'm sorry? It's as simple as as what you just said. You said it well. Well, um, I, I, when I saw saw the, the note about you, I, I felt the um, uh, kinship. Um, I, have, I have dealt with the information for many, many years. I remember going back... Uh, uh, I'm now the 1975 when we were trying to do the same thing in McGraw Hill <clears throat> with the mountains of information, and and we just simply could not, uh, you know, just at the dawn of the computer and content age, and uh, moving stuff from one system to another involved uh, hundreds of people doing hundreds of repetitive tasks, and in fact, right. you're saying. In effect, you're saying that uh, we can now do it much 
faster uh, and probably more accurate than we had a um a, a error rate of 1 in 100 i'm sure you know you're not way above that now well i mean if the if the machine is doing it and you've taught it to do what you want it to do accurately it's the error rate is zero um and um you know the the, the scenario, scenario you described where uh, there was a lot of people doing a lot of manual processes to do these conversions that that goes on every day in real business in the back room and um doesn't have to be that way anymore um uh, you know the work that we've put into our technology and of course there's others doing it as well we don't think anybody's as good as us as as being easy to use and can learn it in a couple hours uh but it's industrial strength and it can be used on most, you know, any Windows, Internet Explorer, web, legacy system through a terminal emulator that you deal with uh, based on different versions. We have versions that are available on the website that kind of lower end that only work with Windows. We call it the Workstation Edition. It kind of would do pretty much what you just described that you needed to do with um, maybe with uh, your archiving your stories of course if it's web you'd need to, what we call our professional edition which is available there as well the larger uh, more um, enterprise users are going to need our enterprise version that support more users and do more things but the concept is just the same if the people are doing it uh, there's going to be mistakes uh, that's we're just human uh, we get bored uh, manual data entry is is mind-numbing laborious labor that doesn't have to be. And if you're lazy like me, you don't want to do that. You want you want to use a machine to do it. We use a machine yeah. to mow our yard. Why would we use a machine to move data around if we can do that? Yes. Well, very very. Oh, you say there there's a version you can use that you can download um, onto uh, from from you can download and you literally use on your computer. Right. Yeah, you're using it there on your computer. As soon as you download it, you run through a tutorial or a couple of videos. Um, we provide support at an extra fee, but um, yeah, it's it, you can use it today. Our, our website's enablesoft.com, E-N-A-B-L-E-S-O-F-T, and you go to the, the buy page, and there are versions that can be downloaded for a reasonably priced number of between five and five thousand um, dollars today. Hmm. Um, it's something uh, I'm going to look at it at the at the end of this program because um, we're on a um, we happen to be on a system on a content management system that um, is no longer supported, and at some point it's going to go down, and there's got to be a way that we can take that information and move it over into a, another system, and mm -hmm. that's what that's what I'm really worried about. I think our professional edition uh, for about $1,500 or less would do that for you. Well, you would be able to do it with that product. I'm sorry? We would do, be able to do that probably with our product of uh, professional edition with uh, one to three websites. Mm -mm. I'm going gonna, gonna to definitely look at it. Um, who Who would buy your product? Uh, in the small business area. Well, that person in the operations area in the back room that's that that gets uh, uh, 
gets the burden laid on them of uh, doing the compliance or the um, data migration for business initiatives, marketing initiatives, uh, data emergencies like uh, data breaches, things like that. And they need to do things today at the speed of business. And they can't wait for a vendor ID to IT to do something. They'll they can they're the usual buyer, and and that's even the buyer at the enterprise level of the 100-employee to 500-employee business. It's a pre the person, the knowledge worker in operations or the executive that manages those people that uh, needs to get, a, you know, needs to solve a problem today. And um, they're, you know, we, we uh, do a brief demo, maybe a proof of concept with them. There's usually a lot of aha moments that go on because people are not aware that this, this kind of functionality exists and it's available at this price point today. Once they have that, seven out of ten of the people that we do proof of concepts with end up becoming customers. Hmm. Well, uh, uh, will you m mention your website again so people know um, uh, how to reach you? Of course, yes. Enablesoft.com, E-N-A-B-L-E-S-O-F-T.com. Well, I, I really appreciate your time. Oh, what final? Uh, what would be your single thought that you'd like to pass on to small business uh, leaders? Small business leaders are the engine of the American economy, and uh, we we need tools and technologies and partners that enable us to move at the speed of business. And uh, I applaud you, and I'm proud to be your partner. Well, I really appreciate it. Thank you for uh, joining us today. It's uh, it's been illuminating, and may if nothing else, it may give me a way of saving my websites. Well, give me a call if I can help you with that, Donald. Oh, well, believe me, um, I'm going to talk with my IT people. Uh, one person, we're a small company, but we're definitely going to do something about it uh, because at some point it's, uh, we're going to go down, and we may, may not be able to get up again. Thank you. Yeah, we don't want that to happen. Have a great day. You too. Take care. Bye. A really exciting program today. Thank you for listening tonight. All of our guests are invited because they offer actionable advice to our audience. They do not pay to join us, but rather demonstrate their capacity for helping our audience add profits. Thank you for listening. And we'll be here again next week with other experts to talk about ways to improve your profit picture. Remember, we're here every week at blogtalkradio.com slash smallbusinessdigest. If you like what you heard today, tell others about our efforts. If you would like to be a guest or suggest topics for future hours, email me at info at smallbusinessdigest.net That's info at smallbusinessdigest.net We would also like to Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. 
Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.